Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to study the Scriptures with us for a few moments as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel or Good News about the Kingdom of God. I want to refer immediately to a text in Romans chapter 4 and verse 13. If you have a Bible handy, do look up this text and see what it says to you as we investigate this issue of the future kingdom of God on earth. In Romans 4.13, Paul made a remarkable statement about the promise which had been made to Abraham. Paul spoke there in Romans 4.13 of the promise to Abraham that he was to be heir of the world. Heir of the world. What an amazing promise. Can you imagine having the whole world as your inheritance? Do you know that Jesus said exactly the same thing? To his followers, in Matthew 5, verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the world. In other words, the meek, those of good Christian character today, are heirs of the coming earth, the earth to be established and renewed, refreshed and reinvigorated, regenerated at the second coming. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus, Matthew 5, verse 5. They're going to inherit the earth. In Revelation 5, verse 10, we find exactly the same promise. The Christians, it says there in Revelation 5, verse 10, have been collected and gathered from all the different nations, and their destiny is to rule as kings upon the earth. Revelation 5, verse 10. I wonder then that Paul spoke of the promise made to Abraham, that he would likewise be heir of the world. You see, the destiny of the Christian was never to go to heaven at death and, so to speak, play a harp on a pink cloud in some region far removed from this planet. God is more realistic than that. He promises the renewed earth to the faithful of all the ages. In Galatians 3, verse 29, Paul wrote, If you are Christians, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3.29. Well, what promise was that? Well, we just read it in Romans 4, verse 13. The promise is to Abraham that he should be the heir of the world. And if you're a Christian, Paul said in Galatians 3.29, then you count as the offspring or descendants of Abraham. You're reckoned as Abraham's seed. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile or a Jew. You're reckoned as Abraham's seed, and you then become, as a Christian, an heir of according to the promise made to Abraham, the promise that he should be heir of the world. The Bible tells us then confidently that we Christians have the earth or the world as our destined inheritance in the future. Now, it seems to us that many Christians have not fully understood this ultimate purpose for being a Christian. Many seem reluctant to believe Paul's very clear teaching there in Romans 4.13, that the destiny of Christians is closely related to the destiny of Abraham. You see, there's a close link between what was promised to Abraham and what is promised to the Christians. Now, Paul, you know, was a leading exponent of the Christian faith. And along with his fellow Jews and Christians, he knew well that God had promised Abraham that he would eventually come into possession of the land of Palestine and consequently of the whole world. The idea is that there's going to be a new government centered in Jerusalem, in Palestine, and that government will extend its influence across the globe. 
And so if you inherit the land of Israel, you automatically inherit the entire world when Jesus as Messiah comes back to take charge of that new government. Now the certainty of the coming inheritance of the world formed the very basis of Israel's national hope of participation in the covenant promise which God had made with our father Abraham. Now in the New Testament you'll find that Christians are adopted into the family of Abraham and therefore become heirs of the same promise exactly as Abraham himself. Abraham, in fact, is called the father of the faithful, of the Christian faithful, that is, in the fourth chapter of Romans. Paul there speaks of our father Abraham, and Christians are supposed to have the faith of Abraham, the very same faith that Abraham had. Paul speaks, in fact, in Romans 4 and verse 12, of all those Christians who follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. And he speaks there of the promise in the very next verse in Romans 4.13 of the promise made to Abraham and to his descendants that he is to be heir of the world. Now this promise then was made to all who would be faithful and share the faith of Abraham. That very expression, the faith of Abraham, based on the promises made to Abraham, is found in Romans 4, verse 16. So if you're a Christian, then you belong to Abraham. You become reckoned as a seed or descendant of Abraham, and you qualify for the same inheritance as was promised to Abraham and the faithful in Israel during the period of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Now, this staggering fact that Christians are to be heir of the world along with Abraham, you would think this would be trumpeted constantly from every Christian pulpit, involving, as it does, a divine statement about the future of our earth, and surely we're all interested in the future of our earth, as well as the ultimate control of the world. To be heir, of course, is to look forward to possession. In the case of Christians, it's going to be possession of the world. Could any challenge be more calculated to stir the hearts of believers and drive them onwards to their ultimate goal? Now, once this basic fact about biblical Christianity is grasped, this basic truth of the Bible will throw light on numerous parallel passages referring to the destiny of believers. In Romans 8 verse 17, believers are joint heirs with Christ. They're joint heirs with Christ, they're God's heirs, and in that same verse, Romans 8 17, they're called heirs because we are the children of God. To be a son of God is to be an heir of the kingdom. It's to be a joint heir of the kingdom with Christ, and it's to be a member of the royal house of David, a descendant of Abraham. All the promises made to Israel converge upon Messiah, upon Jesus, and from Jesus they radiate out to believers of all nations who collectively form the body of Christ, now in training to inherit the promises made to Abraham. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 5, they're going to inherit the land or the earth. That's the Abrahamic promise, you see, transferred by Jesus to the church in the New Testament. Remember that the Sermon on the Mount is directed to all the faithful of all nations who commit themselves to following Jesus, who repent and are baptized as responsible adults, fully understanding what it is that they're getting involved with, namely the gospel of the kingdom of God. Listen again to the same words and the same subject as given us by Paul in the book of Galatians. 
he says this, for if the inheritance of the world is based on law, it's no longer based on a promise. But God granted the inheritance by means of a promise. And if you belong to Christ, said Paul, then you count as Abraham's offspring and you become heirs according to the promise. Heirs of what? Well, Romans 4 verse 13 supplies the answer. Heirs of the world according to the promise made to Abraham. You'll find that other text in Galatians 3 verses 18 and 29. Now, I wonder if you knew that Jesus' teaching, Jesus' Christianity, is virtually a commentary on the momentous information about God's plan and promise revealed to Abraham. Now, this is to be expected since Paul described the whole ministry of Jesus as a confirmation of the promises made to the patriarchs. Romans 15, verse 8. Did you get that clearly? Jesus' ministry, said Paul, was a confirmation of the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So the Christianity of Jesus... Jesus' version of the faith is a commentary, an expansion on the promises made by God to Abraham. Jesus came to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. Now, it's difficult to grasp the New Testament if one doesn't have an understanding of the central message of the Old Testament, what we unfortunately call the Old Testament. In fact, we really should call it the Hebrew Bible. It is Jesus' Bible, the Bible in which he was nurtured and raised. Now, God had initiated a plan for the restoration of mankind when he invited Abraham to leave his native land of Babylon and to take up residence in the land of Canaan or Palestine. You'll find this precious promise and this description of God's initial call to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4. Now, later, by covenant oath, God promised to give possession of the land of Canaan to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'll find that in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, and also in Genesis 17, verse 8. Now, long after the Israelite people had entered the promised land under Joshua, it was quite clear that the ultimate acquisition of the land by the patriarchs still lay in the future. You see, Abraham had never owned a square foot of the territory promised to him. He died, in fact, without owning the land which God had granted him as his inheritance. He never yet received that inheritance. The exciting thing about the biblical story is that we're waiting for the day when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will emerge from the sleep of death in resurrection to take possession of their promised inheritance, the inheritance of the land. Now, all of those who reckon themselves as the descendants of Abraham, expected to share in the same great promised inheritance. Now, to this compelling goal, every pious Israelite looked forward with the eyes of faith. Despite every national setback, that covenant or word or promise spoken by God to Abraham served as a rock-firm guarantee of the eventual triumph of the faithful and their possession of the land. You'll find this described beautifully, for example, in Psalm 105, verses 8 to 15. I read these verses from that psalm, and they encapsulate the great promise underlying the Hebrew Bible, and in fact underlying the entire Bible. 
God has remembered his covenant forever, says the psalmist in Psalm 105, verse 8. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, then he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I am going to give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When there were only a few men in number, very few, and strangers in it. They wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. God permitted no man to oppress them, and he approved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my messiahs, my anointed ones. And there you'll note that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are referred to as messiahs, if you like, with a small m, anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. You'll find that wonderful quotation from Psalm 105, verses 8 to 15, summarizing the theme which underlies the whole of the Old Testament records and comes into the new as a renewed promise under the terms that Jesus Christ added to it. The promise, you see, is the same. Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the land. That's exactly a repeat of the promise made to Abraham. But it's only in Christ now that anyone can become heir to those great promises. And what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it means to respond to the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus begins at the beginning of his ministry, naturally. Jesus came into Galilee and said, The kingdom of God is at hand. That's to say, the promised inheritance of the kingdom is now available. That great kingdom is on the horizon. Repent, said Jesus. Turn around, change your mind, reorientate your life to a new objective. Repent and believe in the good news about the kingdom of God. That's all we have time for for today. Join us again in our continuing investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.